2 Timothy chapter 2 is our text for this morning, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now this is a pastoral epistle from Paul to Timothy, but there are some things that we're going to notice from this that it relates across the board universally, not just to pastors, even though that is the context here of Paul, the apostle, instructing the young pastor Timothy But there are some universal things that all of us need to be aware of this morning, especially in this day and age in which we live. And because it is fitting for this day as well, as we send forth Robert with our blessing into the United States Marine Corps, this is a topic that is fitting as well. And so... You ladies can take a little bit of a break this week. Not much, because there are some things in here for all of us. Paul says in verse number one, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who is enlisted who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics he is not crowned unless he compare, competes according to the rules. The hard working farmer must first be Uh, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Basically, the title of this message this morning is Consider What I Say. And not in consideration so much of what I said, but in consideration of what Paul said here to Timothy and the principles that he laid down that we can take and make application today in all... (laughs) In all of the darkness, in all of the decay, in all of the deconstruction, in all of the things that are going on around us, which looks just like uh, darkness has just came on the scene and has overcame us completely. In all of these things, there are some very important things for us to understand. If we are going to be able to be light in the midst of darkness and to withstand the darkness that is coming upon us, and it is coming upon us, And I don't think that there are any indications that we are going to be able to slow it down any longer, as we have tried to do over the last few decades. But it looks like it is in full-fledged assault. And so, as we repeat so often, to the point of becoming, uh, you know, sounding like a broken record, and of course... A lot of folks in here this morning is like, a broken record, what's that mean? (laughs) Or my favorite was the old cassette tapes. Remember them? They'd break, then you have to splice them with scotch tape, you know. Um, but, But anyway, it's starting to sound like a broken record. Where we live in a day of crisis. And we do. There is no avoiding it. We can't ignore it. I mean, it's to our own demise if we do. 
But we live in a day of crisis. And if there ever was a national emergency, it is today. If there ever was a need for revival and reformation, it is today. And if there ever was a need for men, it is today. It has often been repeated, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. The emphasis is upon men and good, good men. Edmund Burke wrote, when bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall one by one, an unpitied sacrifice into a contemptible struggle. We are in such an hour. And the hour of crisis in which Burke wrote in the 17th century pales in comparison to the hour in which we live. And yet, to one degree or another, men have always lived in a present crisis. Ever since the fall of man in the garden. It has been one crisis after another. We are born in crisis. And in addition, it has always been the same remedies for the crisis of any day. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. The salvation of sinners and the rule of Christ over nations, which is why we are told in the Great Commission... To go into the whole world and teach all nations. And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And to teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us until the end of the world or the end of the age. The remedy is always the same for any crisis that we face. Now today we're kind of on our heels because we believe that this crisis is a of far greater magnitude than anything, of course, we've ever experienced in our lifetimes or our fathers or our grandfathers. One of those necessities, and although many will misconstrue what is said here this morning, nevertheless, the truth is that one of the main elements of our crisis is a crisis of men today. Now, When it comes to the church reaching out into the world, I actually have an alternative opinion when it's applied in that way. And that is that the key to reaching a lot of families today is actually the women. But that just goes along with what we're saying here this morning because there's a crisis of men. Therefore, one of the main elements for the restoration of Western Christendom is the restoration of men as true men. There is a lot of effeminate degradation of manhood, which has led to an effeminate degradation of society, but there is also this faux masculinity being passed off as true manhood as well. Treating women as prey and trying to bag as many of them as you can does not make you a man. It makes you a whoremonger. Being an online passive-aggressive agitator does not make you a man. It makes you a jerk and a coward. What we need today are real men 
Real old-fashioned men. This day calls for real men who will rise to the occasion. Men who will do the work to become equipped. Men who will do the work to become proficient. Men who will do the work to become bold Christian men of character to actually live out their manhood, not in a selfish way, but in sacrifice and duty. So we're going to see five or six things, depending upon our time here this morning, in Paul's charge to Timothy. Notice, first of all, what we see here is the necessity of spiritual fathers. Notice, Paul says, you therefore my son. Now, Timothy was not Paul's biological son. He was his son in the faith. He was his spiritual son, which shows that Christian community ought to transcend bloodline. The church ought to provide fathers for those who have no fathers. The church ought to be a father, just as the church is a mother. But the church ought to provide spiritual fathers. And listen, there is a great necessity and need today for spiritual fathers. Young men need the older generation. And we have lost that, and of course, that's not part of our culture anymore. We look in disdain. It aggravates me to death going out into public, and I've discovered that the best thing for me to do is to stay isolated. It really is. Because it's probably the thing that's going to keep me out of jail. There's nothing worse than going out into public and seeing you some young punk be disrespectful to older men or to women or whatever the situation might be. See, it's not ingrained in our culture anymore. It used to be that we had respect for the elderly and for the old because we understood that there was wisdom to be gleaned there. But of course, nowadays, we don't even have a desire for that. But we have a need for it. Every single one of us. Just as every one of us had to have a physical father, someone to sire us in this physical world, every single one of us needs a father in the faith. And the need is great, so great that we should search it out. That's one of the things that is very important uh, to each and every one of us as men. Someone in which that can hold us accountable, someone who can instruct us, someone who can help shape us and mold us. And so we see here a necessity of spiritual fathers in that Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. In chapter 1 of the second epistle here, he begins, to, he begins by writing, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. In his first epistle, he begins that epistle the same way. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. 
That's how tight that bond and relationship was. So uh, it was so much of a reality that Paul emphasizes that you are my own son in the faith. Like I said, they weren't related by blood. But you see, faith is even stronger than blood. Should be. And so Paul considered Timothy as if he was his own very son. Think about how helpful that was for Timothy. To have a father in the faith. And so this is the reason why we see in the first epistle that Paul wrote to Timothy that he could say this charge, what Paul was writing to Timothy was a charge, to charge him, to instruct him, to command him. See, that's the thing. If you want that kind of a relationship, you have to be willing to offer up the respect. You have to be willing to submit. Paul says, I this charge I commit unto you, my son Timothy. Men need to be charged. There are things that men need to say to men that women don't need to hear. Listen, I know women need to be able to charge other women just the same. And men do not need to be sitting around talking about those things with the ladies either. But ladies, I implore you, I beg of you to get your man around faithful men. Men who can charge one another. Men who can hold each other accountable. Men who can sharpen each other. Inspire each other. Strengthen each other. Encourage each other. And that's what Paul was doing for Timothy. This is the reason why Paul could say very bluntly to Timothy, his son, Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Because we all know the challenges that young men have, right? Flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But then we also see if there's a necessity of spiritual fatherhood, then there's a necessity of spiritual sonship. So Paul was the father, Timothy was the son. It was a father-son relationship in the faith. And so we see that young men need direction. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. Middle-aged men need direction. Everybody needs somebody older in order to give them direction. If you're not looking to the past for direction, heaven help you. You say, yeah, but I know of a mistake that they made. There you go. There's some more instruction. Don't make the same mistake, right? (laughs) We all need direction and encouragement. And so Paul takes on 
a spiritual son and encourages him to be strong. And men need spiritual fathers to respect and submit to so that they may learn respect and submission. This is the reason why you find this theme all throughout scripture of this instruction that's going on. These commands and these charges. Because that's what men need. They need commands and they need charges. We don't need to soften it up. We need to harden it up. We need to be more direct, more hard. Make them tougher. This is the reason why over and over again you see this instruction. Like from Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Joab to the children of Israel commanded them to be strong and courageous and valiant. Paul says, be on the alert. Stand fast in the faith. Stand strong in the faith. Act like men and be strong. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, we need that kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy had here in the church and amongst men, Christian men, who can charge one another. And then notice third, we see the necessity of faithful men because he tells Timothy, he said, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses Commit these things, charge these things to faithful men, other faithful men. So that then they'll be, in turn, able to teach other men. See, this is like a mentorship to pass it down, on and on and on, to the next person and to the next generation. Paul could instruct Timothy in faithfulness and call him to replicate the same thing in his life, the same process, because Paul was faithful. And Paul was raising other faithful men. Paul was first the example of faithfulness. And then, in providing that example of faithfulness, then charges Timothy to follow the same and to be faithful. And then, in turn, to teach other men to be faithful. Paul tells Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words in chapter 1 and verse 13 of this second epistle. Hold fast. Hold firm. Hold strong. Stand firm. Stand fast. In the form of sound words which you have heard from me. In faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul tells Timothy, But you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. What is he doing? He is setting forth the example. In verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3, he tells Timothy to continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. 
Timothy, stand strong in these things that you have learned and in these things you've been assured of because you know who taught it to you, your father. You know me. We have this bond, this father-son bond in the faith. You know me. You know my life. You've seen my example. Paul had this kind of relationship not only with Timothy, but with many others, even those within the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, of course, gets a bad rap because they're the very carnal church, right? But Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 4, and he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. In 1 Corinthians 11, he writes, follow me as I follow Christ. And then he commands them to keep the traditions that he delivered to them. To the Philippians, Paul says, brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have for an example. So he said, follow me, but also make sure that those who are providing a Godly and right example, follow them too. Find good, godly examples and follow them. Then to the Philippians, he also says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for a pattern. To the Thessalonians, Paul writes, for this reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it truly is, the word of God, which effectively works also in you who believe. For you, brothers, became followers of the churches of God. Why? Because they had faithful men charging them. We need faithful men. That is the very need of this hour. The need of this day. Now, by this, I'm not saying that we don't need women. We need godly women. And no foolish, and any man that thinks he doesn't need a woman is, is, is a fool, right? We need godly women, but we have to understand that God has made this distinction in mankind of men and women. And of course, the women are focused upon the domestic and the security and the safety. And men are equipped for the conquering, for the battles, for the hunting and the gathering Right? And what? To protect that which the woman is building. And so when we look at the present day and with what is going on in our culture, let me ask you what is the crisis? The crisis is that we need men 
who are willing to stand up. Men who are willing to slay the dragon. Men who are willing to oppose the wicked hordes as they assault the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What we need is faithful men, but we can never be faithful men. And we can never be faithful men to lead other faithful men until we master being a faithful follower of faithful men. And you see, that is the greatest treasure that Paul was giving to Timothy. Because what he was actually teaching him to do, Timothy's following of Paul was teaching Timothy to be a leader. And of course, it is because we had those Timothys and those Tituses in the New Testament who advanced the kingdom of Jesus Christ throughout the Roman Empire. And that continued on until finally. Just a short little while, when you think about it. Think of the darkness of the Roman Empire under Nero. He's burning Christians at the stake. He's using them as uh, lamps. To light up his gardens. Putting them up on a pole. Setting them on fire. Of course we can also go into. And you can read Gibbon's account. Of the Roman Empire. How debauch, uh, how much debauchery. Was just prevalent all throughout. That culture and that society. And you read about. Uh, a Nero's sexual exploits. And it is, it is shocking. Even in today's terms. But in the midst of all that darkness, Paul was faithful to charge men, to be faithful men. And they in turn charged other men to be faithful men. And that grew until finally, after Nero's dead and gone, somewhere in the late 200 A.D.s, the Roman Empire becomes Christian. Next, we see the necessity of hard men. This was actually the point I wanted to get upon, but I have uh, spent way too much time in the beginning. But notice the necessity of hard men. In verse number three, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The New American Standard Version has Paul saying, um, you therefore come suffer hardship with me which I believe is more correct and proper in the translation, you, my son, Timothy, come suffer hardship with me as a soldier. That is in character with what Paul says elsewhere about following me. And so he is not charging Timothy to do something that he was not doing or that he was not willing to do or that he was not. 
He was charging Timothy to be as he was. He was charging uh, Timothy to suffer the things that he was suffering. He was charging Timothy to be faithful as he was being faithful. The necessity of hard men, Paul says, you must endure hardship. You must suffer hardness. Basically, what this is a call is for men to ante up and do men things. Right? Men need to do men things. Women need to do women things. Men are warriors and men need to do warrior things. Hard men endure hardness. Soft men don't endure. Ladies, you want a man that will stay married to you for... 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. You need a man that will endure hardness. Just like in our culture, in our society today, with all the evil and vileness that is being pressed upon us, what we need is for men who are willing to suffer hardship as a good soldier. Real men suffer faithfully. Fake men are either gone or backed into a corner like a whip pup at the first sign of difficulty or whatever it is that cramps their style or their pleasure. That's why Paul tells the men in the church at Corinth to act like men. Be a man. And what kind of men do we need? Well, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11... It is fitting in this day and time that we try to understand once again and revive once again the kind of men that are needed. In Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through um, men and women, but in all the references to men, it talks over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith. Why? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this is what they were able to accomplish by faith. It says that through faith, they subdued kingdoms, Worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That would be inspiring to us. How did they do it? They did it by faith. And then, maybe this isn't, as inspiring, but it goes on to say, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. All of this accomplished by faith. Who were these men? They were men like Moses, Abraham, Gideon, Ehud, Samson, David, Samuel, Josiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and many, many, many others, right? These godly men who were faithful. And the characteristic that we notice about them is this. They were submitted to God. Yes, they were men, imperfect men. 
as we all are. But they were men who were submitted to God, and as a result of that, God used them because they walked by faith. They walked in faithfulness. And so we see, finally here, the necessity of authentic Christian men in verse 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You see, if we're going to be faithful men, we have to first be partaker of the crops. We have to be a partaker of faith, and we have to be a partaker of masculinity, manhood, right? Accepting our duties, responsibilities, and sacrifices as men. We have to be a partaker of the gospel, a partaker of salvation and of the spirit of God, a partaker of the means of grace and word, sacrament, and prayer. What I'm saying is this, is that to be a faithful man, we have to first be Christian. We have to be a Christian man. Not a professing Christian man, but an actual practicing Christian man. Robert, it'll be easy to be a professing Christian man in the United States Marine Corps, but it'll be a lot more difficult to be a practicing Christian man. That's where we have to be men. We have to be faithful men. And the same is true for each and every one of us in our vocations, in our places, in our stations in life. It's easy to be a professing Christian man, but it's hard to be a practicing Christian man. And what we need today is practicing Christian men. James warns us about this. He tells us to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his face, his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If we want to see the blessings of God return unto us again, we must become doers of the word. We must become faithful, practicing Christians once again. I am all for making America great again. I'm all for making America Christian again. But I know that the work before us at this present hour and at this present day, is making the church Christian again. Because you can never have any of those other things unless the church becomes the church. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God send revival and reformation to his church so then we can fulfill the great commission in bringing all nations to Christ.